0: And welcome to another fun, fun episode of Here's a Guy. It is so hot outside, but we are keeping it—we are keeping it extra cool here at the uh, uh, Here's a Guy studio. Isn't that right? I, I, right
1: I just did this? the
2: Fonzie. I just did the Fonzi thing. I don't know what the fuck else you want from me. You—you you said it's so hot outside, and it took everything in me not to respond. How hot is it? So I'm joined by uh, my two usual
0: co-hosts. That's that that's I think that was the end of that riff. Um, <laughs> my two so usual hot, I saw a chicken laying omelet. There you go. Ah, you finished the joke. Now we can move on. Uh, the first of which is Cody coming to us from Illinois. Cody, how are you? I'm good. Um. Well, kind of. I'm actually having my soul crushed a little bit today because I had to go back to work. Uh, I took off Monday and Tuesday just because I had a little clear space in the schedule and I've been meaning to do that for a while. So I had a nice, good couple relaxing days off. I will say this. I don't think I left the house at all Monday. And then when I went outside Tuesday morning, like all of this smoke and shit had settled in and I hadn't heard anything. So I was just like, what? is going on here and then i checked social media finally and uh yeah apparently uh some dumbass moose in canada has uh just set that country alight and now now the outside oh, of wow. my house looks a lot like the inside of my house did monday <laughs> was it mrs o'leary's moose no i would have <laughs> yeah i would changed up the name but like what's i don't know that there's like especially canadian names are there I mean, you could have made it something French, I guess.
1: Yeah. Those. Jacques Leroux. Oh, that's
2: yeah. just probably more French than Canadian at that point.
0: So we're also joined, uh, that, that person that you just heard speculating on the uh, the ethnicity of the name that he just made up is Jack John coming to us from in Indianapolis. Jack John, how are you?
2: Uh, I'm, I've had an interesting day. So the smoke is hitting here in Indianapolis, too. And uh, my son's daycare messaged me this morning at like 7 a.m. And they, uh, they were like, hey, like, by the way, like, you know, with all the smoke and everything, we're, we're not going to have any of the kids outside. Uh, oh, by the way, there was also lice here yesterday, but no, no one's going outside today. So so really buried the lead on, uh, on my whole morning. Luckily. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. So they're <laughs> stuck inside with the lice. <laughs> Luckily, the lice happened in a different room that my son is in. Uh. It's in like the fucking gross toddler room, not the less gross infant room. So luckily we should be good there. Also, my son doesn't have hair yet, so I think he's also clear there. Eh, but that's he's how got my a little day bad. started. He's got as much as I do anymore. Yeah, it, it's enough that you can like kind of comb it over and you're like, ha ha, ha but then there's nothing else. there. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha. Grandpa, baby. Ha <laughs> P- Pretty
0: much. Yeah, it's just like, it's like it's nice when a baby looks just like a little guy,
2: you know. Yeah, like I could like put him in a little blazer, and he'd look like a used car salesman with that much hair. Like I he's, don't remember. He's who, there.
0: I don't remember who it was. It was somebody I used to follow on Twitter. They had a, a nephew that, when he was a baby, looked exactly like Wallace Shawn. <laughs> See a lot of pictures of just this little tiny Pizzini <laughs> out there.
2: Yeah, when, when when little baby Jack John was like fresh born, he looked like the worst parts of Gollum. Like it, it, it's not, it's not great sometimes he's, he's evened out, but yeah, no babies are, are still gross. I, I don't well, think that babies, that's...
0: they just, they just had their head squished. Just remember. Yeah.
2: Takes a, a while for that to, then.
0: that to settle in. Yeah. I don't think that's specifically a JT thing. Like, like babies. Yeah. I and mean, part of why it looks so cute when they look like little people, is like, cause most of the time they don't, yeah, because uh, like a yeah. baby doesn't quite look human yet. They look, I mean, they're they're kind of like the larva of a human. Like you they're it's just not quite there yet. You know, you can see what it's going for, but we haven't reached it. Um, so yeah, I my problem when I was a baby was like, I don't know some babies have just like the static
2: thing going on where like doesn't oh, yeah. matter how much you comb. I mean, the hair. Just, I had Calvin yeah. hair basically. <laughs> yeah. The the thing that my son does the most that everyone comments on is no matter what is happening or how long he's been in a room, his eyes are like completely peeled back and he looks like yeah. he's just like the most shocked baby of all time. Uh, Every time he does see
0: it's I, I was talking about this with your sister at that concert we went to, and neither of us can quite figure out exactly which one of you, you or Laura, he looks like more. When he does that surprise face, though, I can literally see Laura making that face at you. (laughs) Like, he looks a lot more like
2: her then, and I can absolutely see that expression being a frequent one being married to you. Uh, Alex, this is a joke for just you and, like, the other seven people who took that class. Uh, Little Baby Jack John has a surprise look like uh, our uh, political science professor just asked him a question, and he definitely didn't read, and is making one up on the fly. (laughs) Yeah, look. Friend of the show, I remember those days. Friend of the show, Lo had messaged me one day and she was like, I love the expression that you have every time you're trying to make up an answer. uh, Anytime you're called upon (laughs) a class, you gotta have a poker face, man. She's like, You can just tell you're trying. (laughs) And like, yeah,
0: I mean, that happens to everybody, but it was especially funny because, as you said, this was like a six, seven person class. Yeah. Or like, your odds of getting called on are pretty high. It's like, I'm not. I'm not gonna pretend like I was always amazing at doing the reading, but that class I was because, like, you know, like I'm gonna be getting embarrassed a lot if I don't. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. No. Um, um, to go back to slightly, my father-in-law always makes a joke that it looks like uh, baby Jack John just uh, shoved his finger like in an electrical socket, and he's like coming down from being shocked. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: So the I, you mentioned the haze. I also. I, like, I just walked out of my house this morning. I thought it was just because it's so frickin' hot. Like, I thought we had reached that level of, of oppression where it was so hot that you could just see the air. But no, it turns out it's some trees on fire or some shit like that. hmm A lot of burning maple syrup.
1: <laughs> see, I thought you only but burned trees inside. <laughs> um...
0: So I'm glad we're all doing good and beating the, uh, the heat and the smoke and all just the other hazards that, uh, come along with, with living on just, this. Uh, just, 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 just real quick, real quick. I would like to posit the, uh, the theory that I, I think, you know, who's actually behind the Canadian wildfires. It can be none other than snidely whiplash. Oh, well, of course.
2: <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I suspect I nailed right the from, tracks uh... and this time it actually hit her. It derailed. and Now there's a fire. Uh, I, I think it's now as as good a time as uh, any. Um, the reason I wasn't here last week is because I was uh, camping in Canada. Uh, completely unrelated, but I'm pretty sure I may have not um, uh, checked all. Well, the, Jack Jackson Coles, Jack, that's not true. Yeah, yeah, I know why you weren't here.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know why you keep trying to do this. Because I, I, never I once like, yeah. have we bought
2: it. I feel like if, if I lie and, and I make it seem bad, then the, the other bad thing won't be maybe as bad. I don't know. I'm, you, tr- I'm trying to get can, off on a different You can here. You can hear your
0: nose growing when you talk.
2: <laughs> All right. So uh, uh,
0: this is just what I hear. But uh, <clears throat> Well, last week there was a bit of a situation involving uh, a bunch of rich morons, uh, 20,000 leagues under the sea. And, well, it's not just any kind of person. That can uh, that can help in a situation like that. So they called in our our friend Jack John here to uh, go down and and try and you know get the sub operational again. but uh, well, there there was an incident right as uh, red right as he began to reach the sub. Um, he he tripped on a piece of coral and the bottom half of his scuba suit was ripped off, and uh, he farted, which you could tell because it made a trade tra- of tra- little bubbles. bubbles yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and a bunch of mermaids floated by him and laughed, uh, and he was too humiliated to continue the job, so
2: that's where Jack John has been. <laughs> I, I wish this was the first time a bunch of mermaids laughed at my penis, but um, I digress. <laughs> They're gonna... <laughs> And they were going to pull you in, in and I'll kick your ass, but they opened the
0: podcasting hatch and so <laughs> it all went kablooey. That's called... How many, full things, look, how many things can we reference in this bit? Anyone else have a thing? You want thingamabobs? Uh, I got plenty. There's no um,
2: um, the the people on the inside said, wow, Jack John down here uh, at the bottom of the ocean, this is the worst thing that's going to happen to me. And then the mermaid said, table that thought.
1: Uh.
0: <laughs>
2: Love to reference our own show. Um, <laughs> We've had enough episodes. We can, we can get a little cheeky with it. Like we get like two an episode, maybe. And I think we're at three, so fuck. I was going to
0: say, I think we just burned a boat. <laughs> so Jack, John, uh, um, since you are gone, since you are gone last week, um, we had one uh, listener email that we didn't get to. We read a couple, but there was one that I wanted you to be here uh, uh, to see. Uh, our friend Pookie emailed us in response to our Flag Day discussion and has shared with us what he has uh, asserted is the best, uh, the greatest flag ever. So um, I have shared my screen with the two of you um, and we will now see what the, uh, the greatest flag, according to our friend Pookie, ever is. <laughs> so here we have... Um, it is a... Uh, it looks very much like the Don't Tread on Me... Uh, snake flag that you see uh, uh, dickheads put in their yards sometimes or on the, the back of their their uh, <laughs> trucks, except it is um, it appears to be drawn in crayon and on the bottom it says, no step on snack. <laughs> so thank you for that, Pookie.
2: Which is good advice. Um, yeah. We always I, appreciate your contributions. I didn't know where Pookie was going to go with that and I love that he went that route. I honestly half expected it to be dick butt. I was thinking dick butt or like a really bad like meme crap of one of our faces.
0: <laughs> so um, something else that we were we were going to do previously, but uh, I didn't get to. We have a tradition on this show where anytime that someone who uh, we have on our list as a possible future topic and is alive at the time we put them on the list but then dies before we get to discuss them. Uh, we do a little in-memoriam here on the show uh, to commemorate them. And I had one a couple weeks ago. Um, none other than former Prime Minister of Italy, uh, Silvio Berlusconi, passed away. So I was going to do the in-memoriam of him, uh, tech. of him two weeks ago. But then uh, Cody and I talked about it a little more and decided, like, I should actually just do this for a full segment. And then I went to attempt to do this, and what I found is, like, There is just no way to condense (laughs) everything going on with this guy down and have it take like less than uh, if I if I came in at a full hour, that would have been pretty good. So maybe maybe someday a special episode could be done. But um, with that being said, I'm not going to do the full topic on Silvio Berlusconi, but I'm going to give him a little in memoriam. So here's some bonus guy content for you all. Uh, Silvio, as I said, the the prime minister of Italy, actually three different stints. Uh, from '94 to '95, from 2001 to 2006, uh, from 2008 to 2011. The best way that I could describe this guy is that he was kind of like the Italian proto-Trump. Ooh! In pretty yeah. much every single way, like the the politics were similar. It was like kind of faux populist right wing stuff. Um, he I, I A said fascist in like, Yeah. Just read any article at all about Berlusconi, because like every article you're going to find is going to have some new, insane uh, anecdote. Uh, while in office, he was constantly mired in legal troubles, as well as numerous controversies Controversies over him making inappropriate comments. Uh, like there's, literally, there's an entire Wikipedia page just about all the inappropriate comments that he got in trouble for. Woof. Um, the scandal that finally proved to be his undoing was that they, they called it Rubygate, the official name, but the the uh, scandal of his infamous bunga bunga parties, um, which, which sounds like say, a mini game in Mario World. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, what really takes a scandal to the next level is the proper name, and just I, this was going to blow up anyway, just based on the fact this is the prime minister and what all happens. But like the fact that the the scandalous parties to take down the prime minister are called bunga bunga parties is so perfect. And I, I am going to issue, even though I'm not doing Silvio Berlusconi as a full topic, I'm going to give a spoiler alert in my segment this week. You will find out where the name bunga bunga comes from.
2: Uh, wow. We'll more on that later. The bunga yeah. bunga party, uh, not to be outdone by their rivals, the boofing party. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah.
1: Oh,
0: that's fucking terrible. It's Shiver down my spine. Um, We're going to have to take a break. <laughs> so what what happened was that in 2010, uh, a young lady named Karima El Maroug was arrested in Milan on suspicion of jewel theft. Berlusconi as prime minister intervened, telling officials that the young lady is the niece of Egyptian President Hosni Mubarak, and they risked an international incident if she wasn't released. It was later revealed in the press that Berlusconi had lied about that, and the young lady was actually um, a dancer who had recently been part of these secretive, lavish sex parties at Berlusconi's estate. To make matters worse, she was only 17 years old. Yeah, Berlusconi is a, a uh, scumbag. That's probably the first thing just you should know. It just keeps getting worse. He was formerly a TV executive. So TV executive to high-ranking politician is like, that's just the, the, the bottom of the barrel as far as, as far as I don't scumbags. know. I, I'd, watch, I'd watch America presented by Dick Wolf.
2: There's a heavy coating of slime on all of this. Yeah.
0: From there, it all unraveled as more and more details leaked about the bizarre nature of Berlusconi's parties. Uh, There's all sorts of articles about this, but the extremely abbreviated version is that he and, at most, one or two friends would pay a harem of young women to attend the party, where he'd treat them to a lavish dinner... Then they would move on to a rather sleazy ritual he called the Bunga Bunga. Mm. The exact details vary, but um, typically it would involve the women performing competitive pole dances and strip teases, often dressed in ridiculous costumes such as nuns or rival politicians. Then he would pick one of them to bang for the rest of the evening. So that's a Bunga Bunga party. <laughs> See, that's somehow, how you know it's not an American thing, because an American politician wouldn't have picked one. Even have
2: been like, this is a participation trophy type event. Somehow. This is less offensive than I thought a Bunga Bunga party would be, but that's still up there. Yeah, that's still pretty bad. Especially yeah. when you factor in the 17-year-olds.
0: Yeah. And and on that note, Karima had definitely been president at Silvio's estate, Although she still insists that they never had sex, uh, regardless, Silvio was ousted and convicted of paying for sex with a a minor. Although it w- that was overturned on appeal, um, they then he was then charged with uh, bribing witnesses related to the case, but they were never able to convict him. Uh, he finally croaked a few weeks ago. Um, so, hearty rest and pissed to Silvio Berlusconi, and uh, Italy stays having a normal one. Never a dull moment over there, it seems. <laughs>
1: Right, so wait till you find uh, out about hard. all the skeletons.
0: Wait till you find out about all the skeletons in Chef Boyardee's closet. <laughs> Chef Boyardee, by the way, also a guy I've had on my list. There, there was a real Chef Boyardee. Yeah.
2: Uh, <laughs> um, I, I've been giving th- that, that, that one too. Yeah, I, I didn't realize he was like a Colonel Sanders, where he was actually kind of a real person. That's well. H- how about? Let me just mention this here
0: because I the, my problem with doing this topic has been there's really not much there other than just a cool factoid, which is yeah. that. Chef Bordi. Yeah, Chef Sh- was a real guy, who was a real Italian chef named Ettore Boyardi, spelled differently. <laughs> and like he figured out I, th- I think for World War II, um like a good way to can ravioli like for wartime purposes. Okay. Um and and it wound up just
2: catching on. So there you go. Chef Bordi, real guy. I mean, you managed to make a, an entire guy out of a cat falling off a three-story uh, building, so anything is possible. A poodle, thank you very sorry, much. Sorry, a poodle, I'm sorry. His name had cat in it, but yeah. Um, also
0: that was like the greatest story of all time. Yes. So that that <laughs> one just wrote itself. Didn't even have to work for it. Yeah, that was a wily e. Coyote bit in real life. Um, speaking of things in the news, I had one other thing I wanted to mention. Um, I saw this headline uh in twitter also apologize i'm talking to topo chico so i'm I'm burping a lot uh um so i saw this headline on twitter earlier and this this seems like an ongoing guy or in this case gal situation um i don't know what this is i've never heard of this person before um But it feels worth mentioning. All I've seen is the headline. YouTuber Colleen Bollinger has publicly responded to grooming allegations, partly via song while strumming a ukulele. So, so yeah, I'd heard about this. She's the Miranda Sings lady. I'm not. What's Miranda Sings? Could you fill us in? It is. I I only know as much as I do because I read an article about this. But it's an extraordinarily annoying character this dude came up with that got like super like that show on i think it's on netflix called haters back off she's the main character of that show hmm. that was like a really big thing when it first came out and then everyone stopped giving a fuck immediately i've never seen it but yeah apparently she's a real dirtbag um this was jarring for a number of reasons um i was just such a 2023 <laughs> thing to happen except for the fact that like i thought we had moved on from the um we like 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 young woman with ukulele youtube channel thing like
2: that that feels dated i thought that was more of like a 2014
0: right trend
2: yeah i i just miss when we were a a real honest nation and just gave half-assed uh notes app apologies i i miss those days yeah
0: (laughs) It was a when our more scandal inevitably hits, we'll get our chance. <laughs> like I, I was never particularly entertained by ukulele YouTubers, but I'm definitely not going to be entertained if the song is is you deflecting, deflecting criticism from like uh 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 sending your underwear to underage fans, which I think is what happened with Ooh, her. That's so. one of, one of several things apparently that happened. So like I said I'll I'll have to link the article I read about this. This thing is th- I had no idea there was this much to this story, but it's wild. Yeah, I so I don't know what this is. I don't know who this person is. Uh, that said, I will put it out to any of our fans that if any of you, you know what this is, um, or want to research it and get back to us, feel free to shoot us an email at uh, here's a mailbox at gmail dot com because I really don't. I kind of want to know what this is, but I don't want to actually read about it. It's one of those things to me. So, standing challenge, I suppose. All right. Well, um, as fun as that all was, I suppose. (laughs) What a transition. um, (laughs) I really didn't have anything else. That really was one of these sleazier opening topics uh, that we've ever had. So, um, that's not why we're here, ultimately. Uh, We're here to talk about some guys. And uh, Jack John, since you're back, your vocal cords should be well-rested. Could you help me out, please? Uh, Yeah, I think I remember it. It's... uh the guys all righty well since you're warmed
2: up you're up first this week who's your guy yeah uh this is a story of when keeping it real goes wrong uh, something that may have started as a simple scheme that quickly ballooned into an undeniable problem I'll one of my introduce- favorite
0: one of my favorite archetypes of here's a guy topics the the snowball
2: the thing yeah. that starts out as something and quickly gets immediately out of control Oh, oh, this will get so out of hand so fast. Uh, but allow me to introduce my guys uh, for this uh, this week. Santos and Cayetano, the Hernandez brothers. OK. Our story takes us uh, to Mexico in the early 1960s. The Hernandez brothers are making their way through various towns. And when I say making their way through, I mean, they're robbing small communities. Uh, I'll say it, does. I'll say it at the top. Uh, the Hernandez brothers are not heroes. They're not good people in this story. Uh, they're so, shitbags. Yeah, we when have. When you that. say robbing these towns, are are they
0: robbing the whole town at once somehow? Like, are they just hitting every building in the town in a yeah. night?
2: Or, um, I'm glad you said um, they're they're con artists. Uh, they would gain the trust of oh, townsfolk and manipulate their trust for profit. The men had connections across all of Mexico and would leverage those to seem genuine when entering a new town. They'd gather supplies, hit the town, fence uh, and barter all their gains, and then leave and repeat. Uh, they uh, tell me that at some point they told the rest of the town that this seemed
0: more like a Shelbyville idea. <laughs> Fuck off! I, listen, I'm just going to make the monorail reference and I fucking started talking. God damn it!
2: Uh, and then Cody responded. You gotta be on, Cody responded with "Not on your life, my hairy friend." hmm Ridiculous. <laughs> uh, but we're ridiculous in the back, show. <laughs> uh, we're in the back half of 1962, and the brothers have found a new target: a small, remote town uh, called La Yerbubuena uh, in Tamalipas. Uh, I'm sure to, that's all right. I had to go to uh, like youtube and pronunciate like those words for me so that's what it said it was gonna be a lot of spanish in this episode i'm gonna try to say as little authentic spanish as possible um just because uh i actually never took spanish uh in high school i took german and french uh, because i didn't want to take spanish uh but we're deep in rural mexico for this story uh this area can barely be described as a town really uh La Yerbubuena is the home of no more than 50 people at this time, and it's divided basically over about a uh, couple dozen families. Uh, it's both equally remote and impoverished. Uh, the community is uh, mostly com- uh, um, like made up of farmers uh, who trade corn and beans as their main means of commerce. Uh, it's an all-in effort by the community, and everyone uh, works basically on a communal, far- uh, communal farm for town benefit. Uh, although it rarely ever makes uh, too much of a profit. It's basically just a means to get by. So
0: it's almost like a hippie commune, but people don't smell quite as bad. Yeah, it, it, it's
2: not. It's not. A, there's no drum circle that i found, uh, and they did my research about it. Now, are they just trading corn for beans exclusively? <laughs> <laughs> it, it's just like a, a cycle. It's like, you know what? I have corns today, but I'd really love beans for dinner. And somebody they on like, the other side of town...
0: Keep hoping they're going to get magic beans on some uh, <laughs> some chance.
2: It's just plain corn again. Fuck. <laughs> um, but uh, Santos and Cayetano arrive with a scheme already laid out because um, they think that this place is the perfect place to, to uh, pull a fast one over four dozen people who barely have any money. Upon arriving, the men claimed to be religious prophets, messengers of the great Incan gods. I know this is not an English-speaking community,
0: but if it were me, I would have laughed a little bit at the wordplay there.
2: <laughs> you know, prophets. Ah, I, I didn't even intentionally do Oh, those. sorry.
0: We met religious profiteers. You misheard ah. us. Ba-boom. Classic. Here's the guy. <laughs> Cody, I thought you would have positive connotations because it reminds you of uh, uh, the previous band that you used to sing for, the Lost Profits. Ah. <laughs> okay, now that joke that's that, that, that's music. that's that's very fucking dark, is what <laughs> that is.
2: Now, if you excuse me, I'm going to jump off the nearest rooftop. <laughs> oh, boy, wow. Uh, Uh, But these so-to-be high priests claim that with their guidance, uh, the village people would be blessed with treasures hidden amongst the woods and caves. Uh, Because again, these are uh, very clearly uh, Incan priests. Uh, Why would you uh, not believe that? For such untold riches, uh, there would merely be like a startup cost of a few tributes and, and, and praise. Uh, they're basically running an MLM at this point. <laughs> like they're just like, "Hey, like, give us like some stuff, and then we'll get the gods in, and they'll get you more stuff." Like, complete bullshit scam. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, this wasn't merely a blessing for the town, as the brothers made it clear that the Incan gods would harshly punish any non-believers. So you can't even be like, "Ah, it's not for me," because if if you don't, the gods are going to punish you.
0: Mm. Religion. I mean, so cool. based on your. Based on your description of this town,
2: I'd say uh, been there, done that, probably. (laughs) Um, This plan is bogus for two reasons. Reason number one, as we established, the Hernandez brothers are major con artists. Uh, They weren't any level of religious uh, entity, and they knew nothing about Incan ideology. Uh, We know about that second part, because reason number two, Mexico had a whole... Total of zero ties to Incan religion and tradition, as those yeah Incan was, in, Incan yeah. Incan's were South American, weren't they? As that yeah. originated in Peru, Colombia, Ecuador, Bolivia, Chile, and Argentina, not Mexico. Yeah, were, were they
0: thinking of the Mayans, perhaps? Um, or the Aztecs? <laughs> Either one would have
2: worked, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, the correct lie would have been for the brothers to claim that they were part of the Aztec religion, as that was prevalent in that region of Mexico. I see, but. Don't let lies get in the way of a good story. And if you are lying, just hope you're lucky enough to be lying to a group of people who don't speak your language. And despite this, queer, this clear spiritual language barrier, the Hernandez brothers uh, convinced the people uh, of La Yer Bubuena to welcome them in and to convert to the new life. The way they made this work was almost literal smoke and mirrors. The brothers would get the community high on cannabis and peyote before doing simple sleight-of-hand tricks to appear mystical. I mean, I'd go to that show. That sounds like a fun sound. <laughs> thousand percent. Yeah.
0: Not That's really hard. That
2: sound, sounds like what I did Monday. Yeah. It, it, it's not too harmful. You're just, like, you're, you're stealing basically pittance and, like, corn and beans from these people. But you're getting them high on peyote. So call it a wash, I guess. Um, <laughs> and they would do this in a cave near the village uh, that would uh, officially be marked as the uh, tribute for all the Incan gods. So any kind of like like tribute, you go to the cave and you do it there. So they're just like smoking peyote and uh, a little bit of cannabis in this cave. And it's a religion. Yeah. the brothers The brothers had unchecked power while they reigned. They quickly gained any wealth they could from the local tributes. And when money wouldn't suffice, they took to making the members the tribute themselves and they started doing sex orgies and tributes. Uh eyes wide shut in a
1: cave in Mexico. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. Don't like it. As we kind of alluded to,
2: this would quickly snowball into becoming a power sex cult. The brothers <laughs> The brothers would take copious amounts of peyote, start orgies. And that was pretty much it. They didn't really have a plan for the they, they just
0: they just started him.
2: <laughs> hey guys, uh gods and God say we need to fuck in the cave. Let's go. Now <laughs> or you're dead. Power of <laughs> sex cult sounds like a Pantera song, by the way. <laughs> yep. They they're they're, uh, they're opening for Eskimo Callboy this weekend. <laughs> I think so don't they call
0: themselves Electric Callboy now to be more it's socially It's Electric Callboy. Yeah. yeah, they, they but, do, but, like,
2: but like, everyone d- knows it's Eskimo Callboy.
0: But like that's so funny because I know yeah. what their band is. Like trying yeah. to be more socially
2: acceptable. <laughs> like yeah, it it's it's weird. I always call them that and I forget like I know it's Electric Callboy. It, it's still called it's, it's not it's like,
0: like it's It's not like it's Andrew Jackson Jihad changing to AJJ <laughs> because like they actually had like some hipster cred. Like yeah. The, the callboys series of bands is, like, all about sleaze. Yeah. You know, what are you possibly mm-hmm. trying to brew? Uh,
2: and this whole, like, get high and have orgies, this went on for quite some time. Uh, Santos and Cayetano would make claims that the fruits of their laborers would be awarded from the Incan God soon, uh, but they would balk when nothing happened, claiming there wasn't enough belief or the tribute wasn't sufficient or the vibes were just off, man, I don't know. But let's let's not worry about that, man. We got peyote.
0: Isn't that about isn't that about the time to uh, move on and start fleecing the next town? Or did they just figure they had a they had it too
2: good here to leave? I mean, there wasn't really any pushback until the followers of this new sex cult started to grow a little skeptical uh, due to the lack of results. And they started asking questions like, uh, when are we going to get our rewards from the gods? And wait, did you say Incan gods? You know, those kind of (laughs) questions. Uh, the
0: the, puts, the real reward was the orgies we had along the way.
2: <laughs> this put some heat on Santos and Cayetano. Uh, they needed a way to appease the villagers somehow while still not delivering anything real. They thought for a while and remembered a connection that they had made somewhere else in Mexico who might be able to help. The brothers ventured uh, to Monterrey, Mexico, where they had a friend in De Ela Elzar Elazar Solis. Elazar was a businessman to the brothers and someone who they had dealt with before. And to everyone else, Elazar was a pimp.
0: So a, a, a literal pimp, or just
2: everyone? Everyone thought he was really cool.
0: Did they a- also call him a G? Uh,
2: this is actually the the origin of uh, Charles Robinson, the Godfather. Oh uh, no, no, is...
0: I, I was going to say flavor flame, but you're, I think I like your joke better. Uh,
2: this is this is a literal pimp. Uh, which you can tell by by his fur coat big hat and cane yeah and the way he said horrible (laughs) god i love that that's a good reference Uh, it's terrible but i love it so much (laughs) santos and his brother were looking for a woman who could pose as a deity uh more specifically a a priestess uh, for their fake religion and you know what? Maybe perform a couple fake miracles, and hopefully that would appease everyone invo- involved, and they could keep doing their bullshit cult. Elzar, please tell me. Uh, so, so he's borrowing one of the sex workers, then, is what he's going to do. The the intent is basically just kind of like rent to own, like lease to buy kind of thing. <laughs> They're like, hey, like trial run, let's see if this works, and if it does, we'll we'll write up a contract afterwards, kind of thing. They're just like fucking scrapping at anything to see if this will work, basically.
0: And that, that's how the historic uh, the historic city of Rentajo, Mexico got its name.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Elzar recommended uh, that the Hernandez brothers take his sister, our sub gal for the story, Magdalena Solis. See? Mm,
1: take my sister, please. And uh,
2: it's not good, but there is reason See, Magdalena had had a rough childhood. Uh, She was forced into sex work at the age of 12 and was now only barely 16. With that, the the streets and the lifestyle had molded her in a very dark way, uh, and she started to scheme on her own just to uh, make sense of all of it. She was doing this to the point where she began uh, to make a profitable side gig as a fortune teller and a medium. With her young age, experience fabricating spiritual events, and her willingness to manipulate others, she was the perfect candidate and willingly went along. So she's like, hey, this sounds like a good scheme, and I could probably get some money. Let's do it.
0: Game recognized game. Yeah.
2: When the Hernandez brothers arrived back at the village, they told the members of the cult that they had spoken to Coalique. Uh, Coalique. Coalique. I literally have like a pronunciation in brackets so I can like remember how to actually pronounce it. You're doing good. Uh, this was the mother of the gods and goddesses of fertility. Uh, fun fact, this goddess is actually from Aztec religion. Uh, so either like by accident or by purpose, they started to actually, you know, tell a kind of half truth, not a full on. So,
0: so, so now they're trying to get it right. After this whole time, you've been telling everybody
2: you're Incan priests. (laughs) They're they're either like backtracking or just so lost in all of it because they don't believe in any of it that they're just fucking like they're mixing like, like Italian and Spanish kind of thing like they're just. I was like, gonna say I shit. feel
0: like I feel like that kind of makes it worse like
2: <laughs> I feel like that makes it less believable. It, it, it also though they're manipulating a very uneducated tribe like fair enough. It's it's very very manipulative and the people who they're manipulating just don't know any different. Um, but the brothers said that uh, Kualikwe, uh would arrive at nightfall inside the cave where the other religious tributes had taken place. Again, with the help of literal smoke screens and a fuckload of peyote, Magdalena made her appearance and was accepted immediately into the cult as their priestess. This works uh, great to cover up all the previous lies the Hernandez brothers had thrown at the wall, solving the previous month's worth of problems. There's now a new problem brewing. Uh, being the cult's priestess, uh, Magdalena was given anything she wanted and unlimited supplies of it. Magdalena really liked the drugs that the cult uh, was partaking in, so she requested uh, and was given nonstop access to peyote and cannabis. Right on. That's got to be.
0: God, that's got to be a weird way to live. Just Because peyote apparently will really fuck you up. So, like, just tripping balls constantly. I'm
2: glad you said that, Cody. Uh, Jack John's finger went up. I'm very (laughs) intrigued by what's about to happen. This began to mold and ultimately break the young girl's mind. Uh, Some of the cultists started to raise more suspicions about the entire thing, though. Um, See, when the new goddess uh, uh, was there in the flesh, why weren't they rich? The only thing they had gotten to this point was copious amounts of drugs and just a bunch of orgies. So two of the villagers spoke out against Magdalena as being a fraud. Being a rational peyote-brained teenager, um, she fully believed that she was Koalique, and she believed that she was a deity at this point now.
0: So, guys, I I think we've established on the show that We don't necessarily have a big issue with drugs, like, as a rule. Um, We're not, you know, we're not real prudish about that. But one thing I will say is, based on everything I've read, the the really hardcore hallucinogens like peyote and acid and ayahuasca are not things you should do frequently. That is an every once in a while drug, because that... Those yeah, parts. that can seri- that level of reality bending can really have some serious long-lasting effects on your uh, long-lasting effects on your brain. In Sesame Street terminology, those are sometimes foods. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so now I'm wondering what it would be like to watch Sesame Street while high on peyote. Now Probably I wanted, terrifying.
2: Now I <laughs> want to see the cookie monster just go face first into some peyote. <laughs> <laughs> um But Magdalena, fully believing that she is uh, Koalique, orders the two uh, men who have been outspoken to be executed and sacrificed in her honor. Oh, boy. The cult, listening to their high priestess, follows her orders without hesitation. Koalique, as she thinks she is, is now firmly in control of this cult. At the same time, our actual guys of this story, Santos and Kayato, are just kind of standing there going, what the fuck did we just make? <laughs> Love to unwittingly Ron Jones. Great- oh. Ron Jones times 10. Because <laughs> at least nobody actually got killed in that one. The fun sex cult prank that they were running had now turned into a very not fun murder sex cult. Magdalena took this step uh, took this a step further and was now demanding blood rituals to prove that she had everyone's devotion. And being that she was a fertility deity, needed blood as a means of substance. That's just that's not good. This violent act of murder would culminate in the victim's blood being extracted, mixed with chicken's blood, and drank. Why did they cut it with chickens' blood?
0: Like, what? What could the benefit possibly be?
2: So, I'll just I'll read my next sentence and I'll uh, say why I think it was. Uh, Magdalena would take the first drink before offering some to her high priests Santos and Cayeto, who are just kind of there now and <laughs> very curious about the whole fucking thing, and then the rest of the cult. So, I can only assume it was to just like spread it longer so that everyone could have a drink, but I saw no actual explanation as to why Chicken's Blood was introduced. Other than just probably other sacrament. These guys are such
0: fucking, like, Beavis and Butthead characters. <laughs> like, just accidentally finding themselves in the most fucked up situations possible. And, like, all <laughs> they want to do is, like, make a little money and do some drugs.
2: <laughs> the victims uh, of this, of course, obviously bleed to death in the process. But just to make sure, Magdalena would cut out the heart of the victim and present it as a trophy uh, in front of the crowd. Kind of Kali Ma the whole thing.
1: Another great reference. This went on
2: for six fucking weeks. And included, a, and included at least four blood sacrifices to Magdalena. The That's reason, four too many. <laughs> the reason this didn't happen any longer was complete coincidence a boy by the name of Sebastian Guerrero was exploring the nearby caves in the village uh, at night and noticed a glow coming from one of those caves. He heard chanting and loud noises and being the curious boy he was, uh, Sebastian peeked in only to see the absolute horrors of a woman drinking blood of a man and screaming triumphantly afterwards.
0: Please tell me he did a Scooby-Doo run
2: out of there screaming nope the entire way home. (laughs) Sebastian, and now purely acting on the body as naturally produced, oh shit is all, ran as fast as he could to the nearby police station, more than 10 kilometers away. So, pretty much, like, xylophone, like, carpet, like, pulling up behind him. Mm -hmm. Out of breath and distraught, Sebastian could only relay that he'd witnessed a vampire to the police. Because, again, he's a child.
1: Close enough!
2: Uh, the police ridiculed the imaginative boy, but as a precaution, they sent a single officer with him uh, to go check out the scary vampire lady in the morning. Well, a couple of days pass, uh, and neither Sebastian or the police officer are coming back to the station. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. of course they sent their dumbest guy, like fucking Bernardo Fife out there. Uh, you got Deputy Dewey, uh, running this one. <laughs> Realizing this might actually be something, the police then rushed to the area that the boy had described. Now, hunting what could only be described as a vampire, uh, the police were very, very hesitant, scared, and skeptical. In late May, the police and a small militia supplied by the army swarmed the cult compound, arriving amidst another peyote orgy. Well, this, well, these looks like we showed up at the right time, boys. <laughs> <laughs> in her high condition, Magdalena was swiftly captured alongside her brother, who was also there with them. As for our guys of this story, Santos and Cayetano, uh, well, Santos fought back uh, against the militia, but would ultimately be taken down in a blaze of gunfire. What was Cayetano doing during all of this? He was already dead having been a previous blood sacrifice himself after the cult began to grow suspicious of what he was doing. And you know (laughs) what? The high priestess demanded it so because she had all the power now. Many of the other cultists had barricaded themselves in the cave before ultimately dying to a similar fate as Santos, while Magdalena would be sent to a Mexican prison alongside her brother, each serving 50 years. This story would get out, and Magdalena would be receiving the name locally, the High Priestess of Blood.
1: That sick. That is
2: this that stuff, is a Cannibal Corpse album. <laughs> I I can see that as like any deathcore album cover.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, the story is a great one, but sadly, I feel it's my uh, responsibility to address. It may fall a little closer to story than fact. Much like my story from episode 80, Smoldering Wreckage, there's some plot holes in all of this that some people have poked, and also just enough hot air to create some doubt. As for the facts, yes, Magdalena Solis was a real woman and was involved in a cult in Mexico in the 60s. But some of her more vampire-like qualities may have been exaggerated. There's a report in the Dallas Time Herald from June 6, 1963 that places Magdalena and her brother Elazar as the leaders, both posing as deities in this cult. Uh, and they had two accomplices, the Hernandez brothers. Uh, but the Hernandez brothers had less of a driving force um, and ultimately would be sacrifices themselves of the cult. The only real demonic happening from this was a sacrifice where a member of the cult was burned at the stake. Over time, the pretty fucking in, bad, though. Yeah, yeah, and still metal as fuck. Over time, the story grew in scale and fable, adding vampires and blood drinking. Um, most of which, though, is propagated from the book from 1964 titled "Western Folklore, Volume 23." While there is no real official story, uh, the one that I described to you is what is accepted, but highly scrutinized. But there's quite a bit of truth still beyond it that I thought it was still worth telling. But this is the story of the Hernandez brothers and the uh, accidental creating of the high priestess of blood, which leads me to my big question. If you get caught up in a cult, what that, what's that cult going to be? So
0: for me, uh, the answer is very obvious. Uh, I'm going to become embroiled in the uh, Church of the Latter-day Shemp. <laughs> of course. From episode 64. Uh, I'm going to be... Uh, preaching the stooge gospel to everybody uh it's going to end very badly when i start uh smacking them all in the face or or doing the you know the the neck bob thing whenever (laughs) they uh they disagree with my teachings so but uh it's going to be a hell of a life while it lasts i'll tell you that
2: i uh i can't wait till i like i walk up on this cult and you two are like doing like a bow like and you're going oh yeah 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 like all the stooge noises as like introductory sounds. I can't wait to see this.
0: This is weird Gregorian chant in the back. Yuck, yuck, yuck. <laughs> Great answer. So, what about you, Alex? So for me, I mean pretty obvious answer. I will be joining the uh, Church of Lars Newbar. Although that's kind of just what my Twitter account is. <laughs>
2: um are you joining I, or creating that?
0: Uh I, I might be part of like the senior council or something. Um <laughs> Running it, though, you know, it seems like, uh, you know, not not sure if that's really, I'm not sure if I'm up for management. I'm also not sure whether Lars is going to sign off on this. <laughs> um, his, the one time I met him, uh, and granted, I was fucking shit-faced when this happened. He seemed, like, you know, decently okay about meeting me. <laughs> um, I don't know about it. extremely enthusiastic. He, uh, I don't know if it's enthusiastic enough to where um. Uh, he's gonna say yes if I ask. Can I uh, worship you and, uh, um, you know, skin people alive in your honor? We haven't quite <laughs> made it that far yet. We got I got some work to do on that end,
2: but uh, but I'm interested. I I can see that interaction, and I've seen the picture on Twitter where you did this, where Lars will be like, "Oh, I remember you," and he'd be like, "Yeah," and he'd be like, "That's not a good thing." <laughs> I just love. and I think I've told this story. I love that
0: when I met Lars on the street, like he he would only been up for like a couple weeks. And it was after a game, my friends had invited me to all inclusive seats. So I was fucking drunk. Um <laughs> and just randomly ran it. Like I couldn't believe it. I'm like, there's Lars Newt bar. And uh he took a picture with me and he was a nice guy, but I just loved that like on like the next night's TV broadcast, Jimmy the Cat Hayes ran a segment about how like people are starting to recognize Lars bar around town. Like, I guarantee <laughs> Lars went up to Jimmy, the cat Hayes. I'm like, yeah, some drunk guy came up and talked to me last (laughs) night. I know that's how that happened.
2: He's like telling this horror story in the clubhouse. And the guys are like, yeah, we can run with this. (laughs) You play (laughs) for the Cardinals long enough. That's going to happen to you a lot. (laughs) Good answers. Both of you. Um, I'm a huge wrestling fan. Uh, and, and naturally, um, one of the theme songs that I always uh, love hearing is a uh, cult of personality by living color uh, for yeah, CM mm-hmm. punk. Uh, and team. while, while I don't necessarily love CM punk, I do love cult of personality. So I can absolutely see myself getting caught in the cult of cult of personality. <laughs> Just one song. We're, we're really into it, man. You're going to start wearing you, a lot of neon. <laughs> look, you can, you can play some of their other songs. I'll, you know, I'll listen to middleman, but you better play Cult of Personality right after that, or I'm
0: kidding. I, I mean, don't get me wrong. That's a great song. That is a that really is a good song. It's got a great Fallout fun stuff, but yeah, it's it's just seems like you're gonna run out of
2: shit to do pretty quickly. It, it, it's it's not a long lasting cult. This is like a Kool Aid on week or Kool Aid on day six kind of kind of cult. Oh, okay, so note to ourselves, Cody. If we start, if if one of these days we uh, uh,
0: start seeing a lot of uh, colorful body suits and Jack Johns. Uh, <laughs> In Jack John's closet,
2: we need to alert Laura immediately. I'm I'm just saying you guys are lucky I didn't see uh, Living Color when I was at Riot Fest and that I was busy doing something else. <laughs> yep.
0: Well, thank you for that, Jack John. And so for our second topic of the episode, we turn it to me. Uh, my guy this week is Horace DeVere Cole. Um, and I will just say it's, it's shocking that we made it 82 episodes without discussing this guy. Um, he is a guy I would describe as being firmly in our wheelhouse. Um, it's also another delightfully British topic um, because Horace DeVere Cole was perhaps the most prominent prankster in the history of the UK. Um, think wow. about it. Yeah. And, and imagine what that says. Think about like e- even Johnny N- even best things like Benny Hill and the Monty Python guys. Yeah, cuz I was about to say like think about if Johnny Knoxville had Benny Hills sensibilities and you pretty much get Horace Devere Cole. <laughs> but it's it's more like it's more like Johnny Newcastle in that case. <laughs> don't really know, Don't really know what the English equivalent of Knoxville is. Don't care to think about it.
2: What does that do for Dave England?
0: Oh fuck. He's uh <laughs> shit. I guess he's just Dave America. <laughs> so that's That's a persona I'm surprised doesn't exist. That's like a really, really, really dicey uh, gimmick Twitter (laughs) account. Um, So Horace was born into a well-to-do family in Ireland in 1881. His father was a British army officer. His mother was the niece of a famous member of parliament. Uh, His grandfather had gotten wealthy from the trade of quinine, which is a medicine uh, that's used to treat malaria. Malaria, yeah. We Um, talked about that. Yep. And uh, his great-uncle was a highly regarded poet. In short, Horace was part of a line of serious high-society people who was expected to do serious high-society things. So this is a rich kid, too. That adds just another level of bad onto this. But there was a problem with this, though. Um. Horace had no interest in those kinds of serious pursuits, and he resented the hoity-toity culture that he grew up in. Good for you. At first, he followed the path that was expected of him. Um, he sent to the prestigious Eton College. Uh, then during the Second Boer War, he was uh, commissioned as a lieutenant in uh, a cavalry unit of the British Army. Uh, The Second Boer War was one of the many small asinine wars that England fought when a territory they'd colonized had the audacity to want to govern themselves again. That's what that was all about.
2: South Africa in this instance. I was really hoping that was going to be more literal, like the Emu War, and it was just like the British (laughs) fighting Boers a second time. Emu War, by the way,
0: something that that I... (laughs) I'm also shocked it's taken us this long. We haven't discussed. We may need to do that one soon. We've talked about the San Juan Pig War... Yes, that is true. So during this war, Horace was shot and had to spend two months recuperating in a South African Red Cross hospital. That was basically the final straw for Horace going down the expected path of a child born into nobility. He'd done what people around him wanted, uh, had wanted him to do, and look what it had gotten him. Shot while fighting in a ridiculous conflict that he didn't care about. So after he's discharged from the army, he goes to Cambridge. The government gives him an 1,800-pound disability pension, and he donates it to the War Widows and Orphan Fund instead of keeping it for himself. Right on. At
2: Cambridge... Oh, his family's got money. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he is independently wealthy. We have, do have to remember that, which explains a lot of why he's able to do all the things that he does, because <laughs> there will reach a certain point in this segment where you're going to start being tempted to think, like, like, does this guy have a fucking job? How can he just do this this kind of stuff all day? <laughs> Uh, At Cambridge, Horace had more than enough intellect to get by, but the issue was that he lacked the interest. Um, He was the prototypical gifted slacker, except his experiences made him even more jaded. Rather than go to class, which is boring, Horace instead shifted his focus to his new, much more exciting passion. Pranking and ridiculing British high society and all other highly esteemed institutions as much as possible.
2: Finally, a relatable guy. Yeah. Yeah, we would have been friends with
1: him, to
0: be clear. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) He found a sidekick in his classmate, Adrian Steffen, another kid from a well-to-do family with his head firmly planted in the clouds. Uh, His sister, by the way, was Virginia Steffen, better known by her eventual married name, Virginia Wolf.
2: Ah, really? Yeah,
0: yeah. Virginia Wolf makes an appearance actually a couple times in this story. Uh, Horace's first big prank came in 1905 while he was uh, still a student at Cambridge. A big event going on, um, around that time was a visit to England from Said Ali bin Hamoud al-Busaid, the Sultan of Zanzibar.
2: None of that's real.
0: <laughs> Likely as a result, um, at least in part of his experience in the war, one of Horace's early and often targets of ridicule was English society's rather clueless fascination with exotic lands. Horace and Adrian's original plan plan was to stage a fake visit from the Sultan to the campus of Cambridge. After the Sultan's picture started appearing in the papers uh, in anticipation of the real part of his visit, they decided they might not be able to get away with pretending to be the Sultan himself, so they modified the plan where they'd now pretend to be the Sultan's noble uncle. (laughs) The Sultan's (laughs)
2: uncle. I guess the trench coat and glasses hadn't yet been invented. So that plan wasn't ready.
0: (laughs) This was slightly before the age of vaudeville, I think. (laughs) So, yeah, a lot of the good bits hadn't been uh, hadn't been discovered yet.
2: Uh, You couldn't just put on a set of Groucho glasses. (laughs) I'm the Sultan Vincent (laughs) Tallman. I'm eight feet tall.
0: They then met with their friend Willie Clarkson, a theater costume designer uh, for the first of what would turn out to be several prank collaborations uh, between Willie and Horace. Willie provided them costumes, and now, here's the one part of this that wasn't cool. Uh, Willie did, let's just say, apply makeup to make it look like they had dark skin. Uh, That's the, the, the mm-hmm. polite way of putting it. I mean, yeah. this was the early 20th century, after all. There There did have to be some sort of racist caricature. That's just what life was yeah. like.
2: A very racist, racist product of his very racist time.
0: Yeah. The day came, uh, Horace and Adrian were dressed up as Zanzibar nobility. The carriage arrived as requested, and they were brought to the mayor, who did not suspect a goddamn thing, and gave them a tour around town for about an hour until they asked them to uh, return them to the train station.
2: To, to, make a wrestling re- to make a wrestling reference, I hope the like, paint started to like melt away like Sting. And there's just like barely any of it left by the end of it. Um,
0: kind of hold that thought for a little bit later. At <laughs> a different part of this segment. That doesn't exactly happen, but there's, there's something kind of in that ballpark. Um, supposedly, they were so convincing that they passed by multiple close friends during the tour and none of them recognized them. Wow. The next day, Horace did an interview with the Daily Mail. Uh, other papers picked up on it after that, and it was a public embarrassment for the mayor and the college. The mayor wanted uh, Horace and Adrian expelled, but he was talked down by the vice chancellor, who pointed out, I think correctly, that like that that would just make him look even worse in all this. You just... <laughs> yeah, and that's, I, like the, I, I that's like... I right, feel like... I feel like you gotta go... Like... I understand that you want to punish these kids, but this is partially on you. Like, you got got real bad, and that is your fault. Yeah, you you can rarely punish somebody for making you stupid. It's also just a truism in life. When someone gets you that good, I mean, you kind of just got to roll with it. You just yeah. got <laughs> to roll with the punches in that scenario. Because what are you going to say? I mean, it's it's over. You've already been made a fool of. Um, although Horace had been spared expulsion, he did eventually flunk out on his own. Um if anything, this only ratcheted up his love of pranks even more. Here were some of Horace's greatest hits. He and a group of friends posed as construction workers and dug a trench across the famed Piccadilly Road. <laughs> <laughs> um A gag that was somehow... later used in Ghostbusters too. He somehow knew where to acquire cow udders. Oh, no. I'd like probably just went to the butcher shop and asked, but I don't know. Um, he somehow knew oh, where I, to acquire cow udders. Got me, me spare udders laying around, mate. What he would do with them is uh, stuff them into his pants with one teat sticking out of his fly while he strolled about town. Then when <laughs> upset onlookers would bring it to his attention, he'd pull out a pair of scissors and snip it off. <laughs> a great bit. I was about to. I was about to ask why he bothered with the cow udder like. Yeah. But then, okay, now I got it. Yeah. That yeah, there's I, a part two here. Uh,
2: uh, and then, oh, don't worry, I got another one. He just like rotates it over like it's a fucking revolver.
0: And this is uh, yet another like jackass. got another jackass comparison. This is a um, uh, like this was the Johnny Knoxville dresses the old man and like uh, the dog goes after his balls, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah um horace randomly had a built-in advantage for public pranks in that era which that he very strongly resembled the prime minister ramsay MacDonald. um and so what he'd do sometimes is hold impromptu public speeches pretending to be the prime minister and giving fiery lectures about things that would obviously cause dismay <laughs> such as like denouncing <laughs> his own party <laughs> how do you not go to jail for that in england The ones that don't have a sense of humor really don't have a sense of humor, and that's most of the government.
2: Yeah, It it seems like his next bit is, like, on the literal chopping block.
0: (laughs) So I I will give this one spoiler. Um, Horace only goes to jail once in this entire story, and it will probably surprise (laughs) you to find out what thing finally lands him there. Horace goes to jail.
2: Horace goes to jail Mm -hmm. is my favorite Dr. Seuss book.
0: (laughs) (laughs) one of his favorite bits would be to challenge politicians and other famous people to foot races. Um, And if they accepted, Horace would sneakily place his pocket watch into his opponent's pocket, let them get a head start, and then get the attention of police that he'd just been robbed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. The most notable instance of that bits bits was with his old classmate the newly elected Member of Parliament, Oliver Locker Lampson, which is a pretty good name. <laughs> that,
2: another Kaiser Soze fucking <laughs> fucking you, name. Um, you can't have two inanimate objects in your name. You only get one of those. You drop Locker or Drop Lamp. Could be, could be three with the olive. Oh, yeah, yeah.
0: Usually Horace was able to pull the plug on the bit at the exact right moment to keep everyone out of trouble. Uh, but in this instance... For some reason, Horace also thought it'd be funny to wave his walking stick around wildly like an orchestra conductor, and the cop was so irritated that he arrested them both. Uh, Um, (laughs) Horace was later fined five pounds for breaching the peace. That was the only time Horace ever went to jail was that. He got Caponed. He got him for tax evasion. (laughs) Uh, He once hosted a fancy dinner party where none of the guests knew each other or knew why they'd been invited but they all had in common that their last names contained the word bottom. He did this just to see how long it would take them to figure it out. Okay, two things. Number one, normally when that happens, you're about to find a body, and we're going to have to, <laughs> you know, search the whole house and do all that. Number two, how many fucking people did he know with that last name? I think he just found a bunch of these people somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, This this was um this was in an era before... Um, and then there were fewer yeah. had been written, <laughs> so um, I, I I've, people were still accepting invitations to mysterious dinner parties.
2: Like I can, I can, I can get long bottom, but I'm trying to like struggling really hard to find another last name that would work. Uh, Bottomley. Ah, uh, um, what's ah
0: uh, wait, what's Shawn the, Michael's real last name? Isn't it like Hick and or something it's like Hick- that? Oh, Hickenbottom, and Bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. James William Bottomtooth was there, of course.
2: No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, perhaps my favorite of his pranks there was a show running at the local theater that Horace found to be especially pretentious um, so Horace bought eight tickets in a row in the lower level of the theater he somehow rounded up eight bald men to be part of this prank he painted one letter on the tops of each of their heads and had them sit in a particular order so that the letters spelled out the word bullocks. <laughs> <laughs> which if you don't know is is a a curse a, a very crass word in in england that basically means bullshit so well and also i think literally it means testicles but they use it like bullshit yeah, yeah. so it's it's an obscene word in two different ways yeah um
1: i mean it just
0: just i wonder how he what the process Well, did he just diogenes it I'M LOOKING FOR A BALD MAN!
2: <laughs> you know, imagine like the auditions and you don't get the cut as one of the bald men. You're like, fuck, I really thought I had it this time.
0: <laughs> the cast of the pretentious non-comedy play found themselves quite surprised when the entire balcony section began laughing hysterically. <laughs> Horace was so good at what he did and so committed to the art of fucking with everyone that he was always looking for new opportunities, no matter the circumstance. Case in point, in 1919, Horace married his first wife, Denise Lynch. For their honeymoon, they chose scenic Venice, Italy, which, if you don't know, is a city that was only accessible by boat and rather notably for the time, a city that did not have any horses. The gondola capital of the world. Horace found out about this and on his own honeymoon, smuggled in a bunch of horse manure. In the middle of the night, he snuck out to the famous town square of Venice, the Piazza San Marco, and spread the manure all over the place, just so he could watch everyone's confusion in the morning at how horse manure possibly could have shown up in a city with no horses. That's what he (laughs) did. How did 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 he smuggle it in? I have to know how he smuggled it in. That I understand. There's no TSA at this point. That was a detail that, that I really wish I would have found. And I never did. Maybe he had a trunk that he didn't particularly care about. (laughs) Look, look, but it smells like horse shit, though. Like who who doesn't recognize that there's this man carrying around a suitcase full of full of excrement? I
2: mean, he was that good. That's really what we can chalk it up to. Look, when when you're rich, you have a suitcase full of a lot of gross things. I'm sure it didn't like raise too many eyebrows. The gondola driver. I guess everyone
0: smelled bad back then. Yeah. Sir, why, do, why does your bag smell exactly like horse shit like uh, sir this is our honeymoon and I'd appreciate if you don't ask questions we don't
2: kink shame in my house
0: I guess he could have just been like it's horse shit what are you going to do about it show me the law show me the law open the book and show me where it says I can't do that
2: this is uh, this is my um
0: my service shit Horace's magnum opus actually came in 1910, the legendary Dreadnought hoax. The HMS Dreadnought was the crown jewel of the British Navy, perhaps the most technologically advanced warship in the entire world. There were two things that put the Dreadnought into the crosshairs of Horace de Vere Cole and his band of merry pranksters. One is that although their pranks were mostly in the interest of mocking the parts of society that take itself too seriously, a philosophy that they did actually adhere to was that they were ardent pacifists. So they were not so impressed with this hulking aquatic war machine. To add to that, British society uh, held the dreadnought in very high cultural esteem. It, was, it, was, it had become something of a cultural icon, to the point where it became a staple of advertisements. I'm trying to think it about their like, millennium- what we would compare... It, it was their Millennium Falcon. I'm trying if, to think what like it, contemporary American society compares. I think it could like the Pearl
2: Harbor maybe like where it's more like historically like physical than actually like used i am uh, thinking
0: more like Air Force One, but oh, maybe yeah. like incorporate parts of like the Hubble telescope or the Gateway Arch kind of thing. um that but it, i mean it it was a very famous warship and it held a very high place it was something that the the British society took a, a large amount of pride in. The perfect fodder for Horace (laughs) Um, Devere Cole. So not only were they interested in knocking down the mystique of the Dreadnought for anti-war purposes, but also for their usual purpose of knocking down the mystique of, well, anything that had a mystique. It was also a personal challenge to Horace. He had a friend who is a naval officer on another ship, the HMS Hawk. The crewmen of the Hawk and the Dreadnought had a standing rivalry with each other, and so Horace's friend, kind of wink-wink, nudge-nudge, told Horace that he'd love to see if Horace could pull off a hoax to knock the, uh, the, the dreadnought down a peg. Horace came up with a plan, and the plan is essentially calling back to an original. He puts together a group of five jokesters, this time um, including both Adrian Stefan and his sister, Virginia Woolf, herself. They also hit up their old I- comrade, Willie Clarkson. And said, uh, hey, Willie, the God said, hey, Willie, remember a few years ago when you dress us up like exotic nobility for the purposes of a prank? How about we roll it back one more time? <laughs> one more. I can't <laughs> wait for the Ocean's Eleven crew put together. scene. <laughs> like... <laughs> I, I wish I would have written down who the other people were, but they were also like um, like people from the the English kind of like. This was before the days where you could probably call it counterculture, but I really get that vibe with this whole group because they're like sort of the fail sons of high society, but they're um, uh, like artists and poet and pacifists and things like that. They do give off that vibe, but that's what this group. But also were, this was was, uh, English jackass. Yeah, the analogy still stands. These are people that have the money and the means to dedicate their entire lives to, as our friends in England would say, taking the piss. Yes. Another friend sent a telegram to the proper British naval officer stating that the Prince of Abyssinia would be visiting and would love to tour the Dreadnought. Now, I will say Abyssinia was a real place at that time. Um, It's in like modern day Ethiopia and Eritrea. Um, But much like Zanzibar, it was a place that most British people had heard about
2: but didn't actually know much about. So the day arrives. Go ahead. In my head, I was trying to figure out how Abyssinia could be like a D's Nuts joke.
0: <laughs> no, they never, they never picked a fake country for this, which was probably smart. Like, they had to... I think they would have gotten caught. Um, for as stupid as all these military officers are about to look, they probably would, would start questioning if uh, uh, it was a country that they knew was not real. Um, the day arrives, and the group of pranksters dressed in fine robes and jewelry and again, unfortunately, in blackface, um, arrive at the train station at Weymouth. They immediately find that not only has the hoax worked yet again, it's succeeded beyond their wildest dreams. They're met with a VIP coach to transport them to the port, and when they arrive at the port, they find that the Navy has arranged an honor guard to welcome them. (laughs) My God. After their warm welcome, and once they realize that somehow none of these military officers can tell they're not real Abyssinian royalty, they proceed to just make, as, make it as big of a spectacle as they could get away with. Like, at this point, <laughs> we shift from jackass. This basically becomes like a proto, like Borat. <laughs> um, I am hungry. Give me one of your poor to eat. <laughs> None of them actually spoke Abyssinian, so instead they talked in a gibberish combination of Latin and Greek. Uh, this was except for Virginia Woolf, who was portraying a man and didn't want to be caught, so instead of speaking, she would just grunt loudly. <laughs> um, They attempted to bestow fake Abyssinian military honors on the humble officers, one of whom I should mention was Adrian and Virginia's cousin, who didn't recognize them for even a second. Wow. Um, one of the risks, and this is getting getting all the way back to what you said earlier, Jack John, is um, uh, they couldn't eat any food because like they knew they were gonna be offered food. Like they, they figured that was gonna be part of it, but they, if they ate food it was gonna like fuck up all their makeup. So their excuse was that like they couldn't accept the food they were being offered for religious reasons. The the military officers accepted that without question.
2: I and mean, that is That's the thing. I cool. think it's kosher here. It's cool, it's cool.
0: <laughs> they They'd also all decided beforehand that every time they wanted to express that they were impressed by something, they would shout in unison "bunga bunga." <laughs>
1: <laughs> um,
0: and I will, I will explain in a minute the the exact direct line we go from this bit to eventually Silvio Berlusconi, but um, like that. That still did not tip off any of the <laughs> naval officers that anything was up, nor did any of their other antics aboard the vaunted HMS Dreadnought. They got away entirely scot-free. Jesus. Boy, so therefore, you could I think really... 45 minutes to an hour. There's a lot of bits you could get away with before they invented comedy.
2: Like, I was half expecting one of them to like pull out a didgeridoo and another person to have drums and them to like pretend to play authentic music at some point. Like, how much do they fucking get away with Jesus?
0: In the days that followed, word got out what had happened, and uh, Horace came forward to the press to confirm that once again they had fooled high ranking people in society. The Navy quickly became the source of mockery. I mean, how could officers of the crown jewel of the military let this group of pacifist jokesters of all things <laughs> pull the wool over their eyes like this and I, I w- I'll give my thoughts here I actually think the fact that this bit was so unsophisticated <laughs> like there was just of, of some of his more involved pranks there was just so little to this one which they do just dress up like like people from a far flung land and act like morons aboard this ship <laughs> I actually think that makes it even more biting than any kind yeah. of like sophisticated prank would. The fact that they got away with their dumbest prank in front of these ostensibly very important people is it's just, it's so I, perfect. I gotta say I gotta say though, imagine being one of those, like, Navy enlisted men who's, like, starting to get the idea that maybe this whole thing, but, I mean, what do you say? You can't go up and yank the guy's fake beard off, because what if you're wrong? You're gonna be drawn and quartered. Well, probably <laughs> keel hauled actually in the navy, but the navy wanted Horace thrown in jail over this. But the problem was that simply they hadn't broken any laws. Like you said, show me the law. There's nothing against <laughs> what they just did. Um, instead, and I I will just I will just preface this by saying this this fact is too British for me to quite understand what this is. I'm just reporting what I read which is that all the pranksters except for Virginia were punished via a, quote, symbolic thrashing of the buttocks.
2: No fucking clue. Um, it, it, it's too British for me. Is that like like almost like a, a literal, like, bad translation of, like, getting your ass chewed out? Like, they're, like, like, they're just going like, to publicly... It, it, so, it sounds
0: more like they, they brought out some ceremonial paddle and gave them each a public paddling to signify that you've been bad. But then again, I can I can see that going really wrong with this group. <laughs> they, they just they pretend to be enjoying it way too much. Here's yeah. a joke for uh, any of our fellow IC alums who took Dr. Wells's comparative politics class. Yeah, they they brought up black rod, spanked him with it.
2: <laughs> I, I imagine like they're getting like publicly shamed, but they're just like high fiving people as they go through the streets. Like, yeah, we did that. <laughs> And now you must crawl through our, uh, Her Majesty's
0: seven-mile spanking machine. <laughs> so Bunga Bunga became a running joke in England, especially in the music hall scene. Uh, the joke kind of died out eventually. It resurfaced in the early days of the internet. Somehow that, uh, caught the attention of, of all people, Mo Gaddafi making an appearance <laughs> on Here's a Guy for the First Time, I think, who, um... Presumably, uh, this is where his close friend Silvio Berlusconi overheard it, <laughs> at which point it took on an all new meaning, which is now a um, um, an orgy uh, conducted by a rich person. But I will you say, you can't have anything. I will. That is actually a progression that I think Horace Devere Cole would have fully approved of.
2: This is like if if Reagan learned what dick butt was.
0: I can't see him enjoying that. (coughs) The Dreadnought hoax would fully cement his status as an icon in the world of pranksters. The thing that finally got Horace was actually some bad investments in Canadian land. Um, He fell into hard times financially, and his wife divorced him. His pranking days also wound down because he was starting to go deaf. Um, He'd partially lost his hearing as a child after a bout of diphtheria, because, again, this was... This was old times, so that's just (laughs) kind of what happened. Um, He partially lost his hearing after that, and it just got worse and worse as he aged. Although, in true Horace fashion, the way people could tell that he was going deaf was that one of his other favorite bits was the classic cough to cover up the sound of your farting. And people started to notice the coughs not quite lining up properly with the farts anymore. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the final joke of Horace's life was actually on him as he uh, married another woman and they had a child in 1935 that most people agree actually belonged to acclaimed Welsh painter Augustus John. Horace died a few years later in 1938 of a heart attack, bringing an unfittingly melancholy end to a life that was anything but. So cheers to you, Horace De Vere Cole. Blackface thing wasn't cool, but all your efforts <laughs> in fucking with high society totally approve of. Mm -hmm. so my big question to the two of you is what is your favorite prank that you have personally witnessed and i'll clarify it could be a prank that you Mm -hmm. pulled on somebody else that somebody else pulled on you or that you saw someone do to somebody else what's been your favorite so i have not had a whole lot of pranks pulled on me and in what may be a surprising turn of events i have never really pulled a whole lot of pranks on other people just because You know, lack of opportunity and, you know, having other shit to do, I think. uh, So friend of the podcast, Marissa, uh, my best friend from high school, uh, she and a couple of my other friends at one point, Alex, you might remember this. um, They so we lived out in bumfuck nowhere, like we've discussed. So they were able to sneakily get up to the house out to where I parked my car and they filled said car with like a 100 blown up balloons just completely stuffed the thing. Still have a picture of that somewhere.
2: What about you, Jack? John. Uh, mine is is recent, but it's one of my absolute favorites. Um, there it, it requires a little bit of backstory, but the payoff is worth it, at least to me. Uh, I'm in like a like a neighborhood chatter page on Facebook, which is completely filled with unhinged lunacy and just the worst kind of people with a platform. It, it's the bottom of the barrel, yeah. It's the dregs. It's it's very fun to go through, though. And about a month ago, there was a, a dog that had gotten out. And for whatever reason, no one could catch this dog. Uh, people were always like, hey, don't catch it. Just let the owners know where it's at. So for like four straight days, the, the chatter page was nothing but where this dog is. Uh, and my wife and I like, started making a joke about it. Uh, like, oh, where is it now? Uh, and I started photoshopping, like the dog in like weird places and like sending it to my wife as a laugh. Uh, and it got to that like point in comedy where it's funny, and then it stops being funny. And then it's almost kind of funny. Uh, three, I waited, yeah. waited a couple weeks. And I just developed a bunch <laughs> of pictures of my son. Um, and I found one that my wife absolutely loved. Um, and it's this like nice, beautiful, like nice high definition photo of like my son smiling, and like it's like right in his face, and it's a great picture. And I put it on the fridge, and it was up there for two weeks. And I was like, hey, hey, Laura, uh, go, go look at this picture. I noticed something weird uh, in Jack John Jr.'s eyes. Uh, and, and the payoff to my wife going, oh god damn it, uh, when none other than that dog was photoshopped in the glimmer of my son's eyes. <laughs> nice.
0: that's a good one um a lot of the ones that i've seen or had done to me i think i've talked about on the show before um my car (laughs) getting covered with the orange two for five stickers from the grocery store um my Mm -hmm. the interior of my car getting filled with spit wads car stuff was very popular um yeah i actually remember another one that i don't think i mentioned this wasn't one that i was involved with um it actually wound up being, like, a double prank. Uh, a few of my friends went over to one of my other friends' house um, who had chickens, and in, like, the middle of the night, and they, like, put all the chickens uh, in the bed of, or the uh, the cab of his truck and closed the doors. And so, like, when oh, he got, no. when he went to open the, his truck, it was just a fucking nightmare inside oh, there. They tore the to shit. They shit all over the place. And, like, he knew who did it. And so he said, like, you better get your asses over here and clean this up, like, right this instant. And all three of them were like, uh all three of them were like, yeah, of course we'll do that. But two of them had actually conspired to like just trick the the other one of them into <laughs> cleaning it up. So it was like a prank on a prank. Only one of them showed up oh. and had to clean it all up by himself. Um so- see, they, the same people also uh caulk the doors of uh of My classmate, uh, my classmate BJ's truck doors shut. Shit. They also buried him alive too. That was kind (laughs) of a, things got dark in, uh, in Green County. So (laughs) here's, here's another one. The car stuff thing reminded me of this. This wasn't really a prank. This was more something I decided to do in the moment. A big thing my senior year of high school was car chalk. Everybody had car chalk and everybody drew stuff on other people's cars. Uh, this is another story that Russ loves, but we were um, one of my friends had, of course, drawn a big dick on the back glass of my car. Everyone's car was covered in dicks. Well, that's oh. it was just covered in dicks. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, at lunch, since as has been mentioned several times, we do not have a cafeteria. I went to the uh, deli, grabbed something and was sitting in my parking spot next to my friend Bob, who was parked next to me. And our uh, quote-unquote principal, he was actually the dean of students, also our head football coach, just kind of the guy who was in charge of the school, walks by and sees this. And he is apparently uh, not happy with the fact that there's a great big, uh, just great big old dick and balls on the back of my car. And he comes up to me and says, hey, you can't have that on there. I'm like, what? He goes, the penis. The penis on the back of your car. You cannot have that. I was like... I didn't put it there like I'm not cleaning it up because I didn't put it there. <laughs> I, I, I'm i not advertising anything like, do you think I did this to myself? Of course I didn't. I'm not going to do that. It's like, yes, you are going to wipe that off. I said, no, the fuck I am not. Not quite in those words, but, you know, similar kind of thing. He He's known me for years by this point, so he's like kind of knows what to expect. He's like, look, I'm going to go inside to the uh, to the gym, I'm going to grab some towels and stuff, and then you're going to clean that off. So I was kind of pissed until he got inside, and I noticed that Bob had a roll of shop towels in the back of his truck. I'm like, Bob, give me those towels. So I wipe it off real quick and sit back down, and he comes back out, and he's like, Oh, I, I see you took care of that. You were raised. What are you talking about? <laughs> the penis that was on your car. What the heck? I have no idea what you're talking about. What penis on my car? And, like, I I gave, I, I will say, an Oscar-worthy performance. Like, I sold the shit out of him, like, n- uh, me not knowing what he was talking about. Eventually, he just got tired and walked away. I look over, and Bob is just <laughs> dying. Because he's about four feet away. He can hear all of this. He's just absolutely losing his mind. So, that was another fun one. Another one that I have never actually gotten a chance to do, but I think would be really fun... Is, you know how those old uh, detachable shower heads, like the old school shower heads, you, some of the new ones you might still be able to do this, but you could, like, take them off and there's space inside. You just put put about six or eight uh, beef or chicken bouillon cubes in there. <laughs> so when you turn the shower on, what comes out is a, a, essentially soup.
2: I mean, that sounds lovely, honestly.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, one final one I wanted to mention, I think I've, I've also told this story, but I would be remiss if I didn't point out the time that um one of the guys who lived on our dorm floor, I know who it is, but I will never say who, uh, <laughs> got oh onto, got onto friend so of the bad. show, got onto our friend Mitch's uh, computer and signed him up for the National Guard. <laughs> That's probably the best <laughs> one I've ever seen.
1: That's
0: so fucking bad. Oh my God, poor Mitch. Well, thanks for your answers. Um, if uh, if any of you out there have any pranks you've seen or been part of that you want to mention, send them our way. Here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Um, for our final topic of the episode, now we turn to Cody. Cody, who is your guy? Uh, we have a gal this week, actually, from me. Uh, so tonight we are going to venture back into the world of the sideshow. Uh, and what we've learned from our discussion of this world so far is that not only is it a world of oddities, idiosyncrasies, and general high strangeness, but also exploitation and greed. So just expect a healthy dose of both of those. Yeah, so like uh, it, it we we want to clarify where we're coming from when we talk about like carney folk from back in the day, because like it would seem like talking about carny folk as guys and gals would be a little bit of low-hanging fruit. So instead we're we we are interested in the stories behind these people because they are human beings after all, and having a little bit of familiarity with with your topic this week—not full familiarity, but just a little bit—I think this this definitely qualifies to your gal. There is going to be a heavy dose of that in this segment, so just kind of you know keep your keep your ears out. Yeah, the people that put these shows on, honestly, were just the dregs of humanity. I mean, they were fucking terrible people for the most part. Um, Anyway, to that end, we examine the strange tale of Julia Pastrana. Uh, Julia was a Mexican woman born in 1834. And unfortunately, Julia's social life was just pretty much cooked from the beginning. Uh, See, Julia was born with a rare genetic condition called uh, hypertrichosis terminalis that resulted in most of her body, including uh, her face, or at least the parts of your face with hair follicles, being covered in long, straight, black hair. In addition, her teeth, nose, ears, and lips were all abnormally large as well. In short, Julia played the genetic lottery and rolled snake eyes. I mean, this girl was U-G-L-Y. alibi, she ugly. Now, happens. not much is known. Sorry, what? It, it, it happens. Yeah. Some yeah. people are just, ugly. It, And that, you know what? Tru- That's yeah, trust
2: me. I know. <laughs> I've, I've lived with that for 29 years. I get it.
0: Yeah. Look, nature played a, a cruel <laughs> prank on me, too. It's just a little more conventional. Um, Not much is known about her early life. I bet it was great, though. <laughs> bet, bet it was great growing up looking looking like that. Her appearance, there are pictures of this woman. Her overall appearance, between the shape of her face and the hair, make her look very much like some kind of large primate. Or sorry, large non-human primate. Just, just something from the ape family. Um. So multiple stories exist about her early life and origin, but most of those that we know come from the sideshow themselves and are therefore almost certainly bullshit. Yeah. So most stories and actual researchers who've looked into this, they do agree on a few things though. Uh, Firstly, she was from the state of Sinaloa in Mexico. And secondly, that her family were members of an indigenous tribe. Uh, Her native name was runs with bag on head. Yeah. Anyway, that is the most and least proud I've ever been of a joke that I've ever written. Um, Yeah, her native heritage and low status condemned her to what was basically slavery. uh, Because you could do that back then. So, in 1854, she was purchased by a customs agent, named Francisco Sepulveda, who brought her to the U.S. to work the sideshow circuit. Uh, She wrangled her way free somehow, we're not sure. Initially, she was managed by uh, J.W. Beach. But later that same year, she met a man named Theodore Lent. When she met Theodore Lent, it was love at first sight. Or maybe second or third, you know. But either way, they eloped, and Lent took over her management. Now, some of you may be laughing about this idea, but here's the thing about Julia Pastrana. Yes, she looked like an extra from Planet of the Apes. But despite all of this, Julia was said to be remarkably charming. She was very talented as a dancer and a singer, uh, highly intelligent, despite a uh, relative lack of education. She actually spoke three different languages. Uh, and by all accounts, just a really nice lady who was really fun to be around. And that, that's you the, can part, see that's how the part a... that I would always heard. Like, yeah, like that's part of the lore is like the, the bearded woman behind the scenes is like mm-hmm. actually like really nice and smart.
2: Yeah. Speaking speaking from experience, if you're ugly, you better at least be smarter funny. Like you you gotta have Mm -hmm. one of those. So
0: you can see how a guy could warm up to the idea. Another possible motivation here, however, was that Lent saw dollar signs. He knew that this would make a splash on the scene and he intended to cash in this is either another example of just how horribly unethical some of these people were or the greatest love story the world has ever known. It's one of those two things. I'm,
2: Unfortunately,
0: I'm, some things happened that make me think it's probably the first one.
2: I'm starting to picture this guy as like her Don King. Like he's just there like prize fight promoting this whole thing.
0: I, you're not too far away from the mark there. Uh. Um, This is borne out to a degree by the way in which uh, Julia was marketed on the circuit. She was booked at different times as the baboon lady, the dog-faced woman, the ape woman, and sometimes simply as the nondescript. Which, while cryptic and cool, is completely a misnomer. (laughs) Like, nondescript is the
2: opposite of what this lady is. I can can think of several ways to describe this gal. Yeah everyone come on come all see name redacted <laughs> oh my just god what nature. a great what a great
0: one-man show bit though where it's just <laughs> a blackout on the center of the stage and he does the singing and dancing but with one of those voice changer machines like you see on
2: now Man. i want to pull, pr- pull a prank where like i advertise like a small local theater the amazing name redacted uh and then when the like the curtain pops up, there's just nothing for 45 minutes. And then the curtain goes down.
0: See, now you're thinking. Now you're thinking. Horace would be proud. Um, yeah, she sang, danced, uh, bantered with the audience. Apparently she could really work her room. Everybody loved this lady. Um, her act was a smash hit. Her husband and uh, other managers went on uh, to great lengths to make sure that the act was a success, drumming up publicity wherever and however it was possible. One thing that they did frequently was they would have her examined by doctors and scientists, and uh, that would then get reported in the local press, yada yada. One thing that worked in their favor was that this is the mid-1800s and we didn't know shit about shit, so we didn't really know anything about this condition. So the doctors were frequently, genuinely baffled. Um, Alexander B. Mott, who is a prominent Civil War era surgeon, publicly declared that she was, and certified this publicly, that she was the product of the mating of a human and an orangutan.
2: God. I mean, that's the only logical explanation. Yeah, yeah, no, I see it.
0: Yeah, what a terrible If hero. I'm Theodore let. If I'm Theodore Lent, I'm just like, look, man. I know I set this whole thing up, but that's still my <laughs> wife. Come on. <laughs> um, others were a little less dense. Uh, notably, famous surgeon and zoologist Francis Buckland said she was, and I quote, "a deformed Mexican woman." Jesus. Like his his whole. That that's a new favorite recurring trope on this show, especially my segments. Is someone calling in an expert for some bullshit, and they they wind up just being like, "What the fuck are you doing? Why am I here? I... You yeah, brought so... me here
1: for this." It's like yeah. the lady giving birth to the rabbits—the one
0: smart guy in that story. I think people so in this era, if, if they would, they had some kind of like burden, where they they would die if they were not racist at least once per day yeah yeah. so her notoriety took her around the world but uh, it was unfortunately not to last during a tour in Moscow uh, Julia would give birth to her first and only son Uh, the son was born with similar genetic abnormalities as his mother and unfortunately survived just three days Uh, Julia herself would die from postpartum complications a few days after that Thomas Lent was not the type of man to let a little thing like his entire family dying derail his career. Uh, he met another bearded woman in Germany, married her, and then took over managing her career.
2: They're fucking like Tinder for bearded ladies? Like, how do you just fucking... I don't know.
0: Dude, <laughs> dude's got a type, I guess. Or he just figured, this made me rich last time.
2: <laughs> Is he just fucking like trolling circuses? How's he doing this? <laughs>
0: I have no idea. I mean, he is on the sideshow circuit. He does come across a lot of these people.
2: Uh, he actually. Of... Go ahead, Jack. I've never heard of a circus tent lizard before. That's. It's <laughs> <inscriptor>. <laughs> this woman,
0: actually, he had her change her name to Zora Pastrana and was billed as Julia's sister. Oh, that's. But... That... Oh, hold on a second. But he hadn't forgotten about Julia and their son, and he made this clear by the fact that he had them stuffed and displayed their bodies around the world at Zora's performances.
2: God damn it! Fuck's sake! I was gonna make the joke that like he just like put up a a, a broom or a mop or something. No, this is worse. Yeah, this is way worse. This this is like a hundred times worse than that.
0: Um, these bodies. After the sideshow circuit kind of stopped being a thing and uh, Thomas Lent was out of the game, the bodies passed through multiple uh, different places over the years. Eventually, um, at some point, uh, while they were in Norway, vandals broke in to the place where they were being held, and apparently the the son's body was damaged beyond repair. There was some minor damage to Julia, but they were able to, to patch it up. Um, eventually, it wound up at Oslo University in Norway. For many years, people fought for her body to be returned to Mexico and given a decent burial as though were sh- as though she were, I don't know, a human being. Uh, but the scientists at the university still wanted to continue studying it. And I can kind of see that side of it too, because, again, for science, like we do this with people with abnormal conditions all the time, just normally with their consent.
2: i I agree. But the sentence, but the scientists still wanted to keep studying, never ends well. Yeah. Um. So in the mid to late aughts, a movement
0: to this end to bringing her back home and, and giving her an actual burial was spearheaded by Mexican-American visual artist Laura Anderson Barbada. Or, or Barbada, actually, sorry. With uh, help from the Sinaloan government, some Norwegian officials, and many others, Barbada finally managed to arrange for the body to be returned home and given a funeral in 20-fucking-12. Jesus. Man. A full Catholic Mass was performed, and Barbada enlisted a local master artisan to make her traditional funeral garb. Uh, Tons of locals, largely working-class folks, came to pay their respects and brought flowers. And with that, Julia Pastrana's story finally comes to an end, not before having inspired songs, a movie, and even a musical. So all that remains is my big question to the two of you. You're a sideshow performer of some sort, and you got to drum up publicity for your ridiculous sideshow
1: act. What are you doing?
0: Well, I mean, I think that... I'm going to I'm going to go the the old fashioned route, which is, um, you know, I'm just going to put up posters. But um, to be very specific, you know, the posters are going to feature me as my act as the bearded man. Yeah, I would. You know, since we're since we're being vulnerable in this segment, there are there are <laughs> days where I'm like, I am so goddamn hairy. I probably could have been in the circus <laughs> at some point <laughs> in my life. Like everyone, come, all, come, come on, come on, come on. Like, get out, fucking look real close at my arm and how, like, three hairs come out of the same follicle. <laughs> it amuses me.
2: It, it'd be like, he's not, like, like, he's got hair where I would where to expect it, but it's all the consistency of a beard. It's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I have a full body beard.
0: He is the human beard.
2: I uh, I'm gonna, like, have even less to offer. I'm just gonna be myself on stage. Uh, but to actually sell tickets, uh, I'm going to borrow from whitest kids, you know, and I'm just going to run a commercial where I'm just going to dig them up. Uh, if you don't, if you don't, <laughs> show, I'm digging them up. <laughs> I'm digging them up. <laughs> what am I going to do with them? I don't know, but I'm digging them up. And uh, that's how I'm going to sell tickets. So um, my sideshow act,
0: I've always said I wanted to be the guy who dives into the, the improbably small container of water and survives. Uh, so I am going to start doing this. Uh, By going to the local bars and diving into people's drinks. (laughs) It's going to get it's not going to go over well, because that is far too small uh, a receptacle. But uh, it just seems like something one of those guys would do when they're really hammered. So, yeah, that's that's where I'm going. Good, good answers, though. Good answers to the lot.
2: Yours does seem like something I could see Johnny Knoxville doing. Just like cannonballing into like a pitcher. (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right what a thrilling episode that was um uh, we've survived till the end once again so let's uh let's take this thing home like we usually do we'll start by going around the horde and hawking our shit cody can the people find you Uh, First and foremost, you can find me every week right here on Here's a Guy, on Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Uh, We hope to be getting a little Twitch channel up and running soon called Here's an Adventure at twitch.tv slash Here's an Adventure. It's me, these two knuckleheads, and our friends Pookie and Kelsey playing some D&D. It's a lot of fun. Uh, The Instagram page as well. We now have an official Here's a Guy pod Instagram page. It's just at Here's a Guy pod. And finally, you can find me on Twitter. I am at sonofgravy4269. All right, Jack John, where can the people find you?
2: Oh yeah, people can find me on my Twitter account at Papa Jack John. Find me on my personal Twitch channel every Sunday at Papa underscore Jack John. Oh, it's the background. Sorry. my Twitter is Papa underscore Jack John. My Twitch is Papa Jack John. I don't know my own things. Uh, and I'll I'll reiterate. Check out the uh, the Pod Instagram account. Here's the guy Pod. I posted uh, that I got my. Uh, my Steve Lightfoot uh, mail. I probably need to do a full review and write-up of that because it is, it is beautiful. Uh, but check me out there. <laughs> All right. You can find me on
0: Twitter at Turpin for Prez. That's Terpen, the number four. P-R-E-Z. Uh, follow the podcast account as well. It's at Here's a Guy Pod. And we have a mailbox. Here's a mailbox at gmail.com. Uh, send us whatever you like. I've given a couple different challenges in this episode. Like it enough, we'll read it on the show. All right. Well, I am thoroughly exhausted um, and I can think of only one way to uh, uh, put an exclamation point on this thing. Cody, would you happen to have a tagline? I do, as, uh, as luck would have it. Sounds good. OK, well, thanks, everybody, for being here. hope to have you back with us next week. And uh, Cody, could you hit us with that tagline, please? No matter how funny-looking somebody is, be nice to them anyway. They've probably had a bad enough day. Trust me, I know. Bye,
1: babies.